Welcome to twoquestions.tv. With me today is Ellen Petrie-Leans, and we're talking about happiness. Twoquestions.tv. Brief questions, deep knowledge for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business owners. Welcome to twoquestions.tv. I'm Susan Barancini Mo. Joining me today is Ellen Petrie-Leans. Ellen is an alum of Apple, Google, and she's had advisory roles with more than 40 innovative technology companies. Today, she coaches leaders and teams on creativity and culture. She teaches at Stanford University, and she writes on mindfulness, entrepreneurship, and she's the author of this book, The Happiness Hack, which we're talking about today. Hi, Ellen. Welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. Thank you. And what a nice introduction. I really appreciate it. It's so nice to have you. And so nice to be talking about a book about happiness. What a, what a wonderful um, start to the year. So talk to me a little bit about what's happiness and why should we pursue it? It seems, it seems like a silly question on the service, but having coached a number of people who said, well, I'm not happy, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm fine. You know, so, so what, how do you define happiness and why is it important that we pay attention to it? So there's nothing silly about that question. In fact, I think it's one of the biggest questions of our time. We have to look first at the fact that we're human beings. We are creatures that evolved from a long lineage of evolutionary biology and our bodies and our brains were shaped, if you will, by the environment and the niche that we filled in it. And as we looked at filling that niche, we as early humans had to do a number of things in order to survive. And a big part of that was to be social beings who fit into a sense of something bigger. So as social beings, we had to be part of clans and part of collectives. You know, if you think about it, we couldn't do much as humans reproduction-wise if we were solitary beings. So we had to be really connected with other people. And that, of course, was favored by the, 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 the brains that did that well were the brains that made it home to the cave to see their cave sweetie and the rest was history, so to speak. But then we also had this capacity as human beings to... Um, once we got past survival in our evolutionary change, we had this capacity to seek more and to be curious about the world around us. And so a sense of wonder evolved in early humans. And if you look at the trajectory of our, if you will, our cultural or our psychological evolution, it's marked very much by a sense of, of finding purpose, finding meaning, understanding this something bigger that we're part of. And there are many, many interesting threads in evolution and, and in culture and really in timeless wisdom about that. Fast forward tens of thousands of years <laughs> and even thousands of years and here we are today. And we live in a world that's increasingly about disambiguating um, for proof and evidence that things are working. We are conditioned, and the brain is an incredible conditioning uh, machine. It, it responds to the environment around us, and, and it does more of whatever it's doing right now. So we get all of these messages from around us that say, we should know when we are happy. We know we will be happy when we do this, that, and the other thing. If you do this, it will lead to this success and that will make you happy. So our culture really points us toward chasing external objects, be they you know, degrees or careers or cars or homes or something that we might find on a device like this 
that, and say that it's all going to make sense when we use that or own that or get to that place. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, it seems to be making less and less sense for a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. So my book is, is a little bit of a different approach to happiness because it looks at happiness as something that is our birthright on a timeless level. It's part of our, I do believe that the natural human state is one of happiness. Part of our evolutionary biology is that we should be happy because if we're not happy or we don't have places to find happiness, it makes it very hard to survive. But happiness, both experientially and chemically, is very different from what we're conditioned to do and expect to be happiness today. So one of the first things the, the book does is look at the different types of happiness and the, the neurochemical structures associated with that happiness. It looks at the more dopamine-fueled chase of happiness, where we think mm -hmm. that if we get something or find something, that we're going to be rewarded with a feeling of happiness. And we can think of numerous examples of that in our lives. But it also looks at the very basic and intrinsic human feelings of being a helpful friend, feeling part of something bigger, being generous, learning, some of these very, very simple things and expressing ourselves in ways that matter that actually are about the real happiness that humans are able to achieve. And it talks about those more associated with the serotonin cycles. Simple things like eye contact, like making time to really be present for things, like, like I mean, really, it comes down to very much mindfulness sorts of practices, appreciating and feeling gratitude for the experiences that we're having. This is really where we find that deeply grounded, grounding, lasting, and somewhat contagious, thanks to mirror neurons, sense of happiness that I think is what we're all really hungering for. The science of it is so interesting. Um, and by the way, I'm going to have to start seeing if my husband will like being called a cave sweetie. <laughs> Um, but, it sounds but, great to me. Yeah, right? <laughs> Hi, cave sweetie. Uh, no, I, I love that. It just struck me. Um, but but I, I like this the way you're talking about happiness because I think it's different from the the concept a lot of people have of it where it's this, you know, joy all the time and it's got so mm -hmm. much energy and frenetic and it's not. And, and, and I think there's a contentedness to it. That's a more peaceful concept that you're talking about. You, you have so nailed it. That's exactly what the difference is. You know, I think we all have this disease of fabulitis. I like to call yeah. it. Yeah. And it's that we're in this competitive fabulousness where we think that, our life should be a succession of little strings tied together of perfect moments, perfect moments right. that we can collect the evidence for by getting likes on social networks or, you know, something of, of this. And that we think that the better, you know, that all of these sort of the, that there's something we can do that will make our life make sense. Mm -hmm. And it's a funny thing, Susan, because if you really look at the people are associating this a lot now with the, with some of the things happening in the world of tech and really the deliberate hooking of yeah. you know of of our minds to these mm -hmm. devices tech is one expression of a continuum that's been going on for a very very long time the human mind is an amazing tool and it's an amazing 
uh, powerhouse of capability. But if we do look at our evolutionary biology, we'll see that part of what made us survive is that we were motivated and we were rewarded when we got things that we liked. And for centuries, people have been exploiting motivation and reward cycles to get us to do things that actually don't contribute to what we really want in our lives, but they can exploit those brain cycles to their advantage. And this book gives a little bit of a decoder ring to understanding that so we can notice when we're getting hooked and notice how really how epidemic those hooks are in the society around us, certainly in our tech, but well beyond that as well, and be able to say, what do I really want? which is a practice that is not cultivated or really reinforced in our society. So let's start. (laughs) Oh, it's, and and honestly, I spent, I spent an absurd amount of time thinking about, oh my gosh, we're getting it all wrong, you guys. (laughs) Like, really, come on. (laughs) All right, so. Yeah. In the, in the book, you talk about a lot of the science and the, the way the brain works. And, and that is, um, to me, that was super interesting. Um, but for our viewers, they may want just one little practical thing that they could do today to start their journey towards happiness. Obviously, reading this book is one of them. But, but what are, what's one little thing they could do today to start feeling Perfect. better? Today and every day, and that is, it's my favorite advice to give, and it's so simple, and that is start your day, and ideally end your day, but you asked for one, so I'll only do one. (laughs) Start your day doing anything but this, Mm -hmm. anything but this. This is the perfect tool for activating and exploiting those dopamine-fueled cycles, and dopamine chemically does break down into things associated with the stress hormones and stress stress related chemicals. So, you know, chemicals do break down and dopamine is one that breaks down with things associated with cortisol. So, you know, that which which is the stress chemical that builds in our body. So if we start our day with some sort of an intention, some sort of a practice, anything other than tech, and really use that to say, I have mastery in my life. And this isn't some self-help, you know, woo-woo mumbo jumbo of, you know, I'm going to say it and it'll become real. It really is training your brain. You know, I like to say that the brain is like a puppy. And any of us who have ever raised a puppy know that if you don't guide and discipline the puppy, you know what your house is going to look like. If the puppy's always chasing after bones and chasing after bones, you're not going to have a puppy that, you know, you're not maybe not want to be around that much. So (laughs) use, use the morning to sort of train the brain to say, this is what matters to me today. This is what matters. And this is how I'll know that I'm on the path to what matters. And it could be something like, you know, giving an extra, having a few sentences longer conversation with your cave, sweetie, or with anyone else who shares your life, or really taking the time to say this, you know, something that, that to journal maybe, to write down two or three thoughts about what you want from the day, to be grateful, to remind yourself of what you're doing well. These small practices actually shift the brain. The brain will do more of whatever it's doing right now. And if you gently guide the brain to be to bear witness really to these feelings of contentedness, your word, which is perfect, then you will be priming the brain to seek and build more of that feeling of contentedness day to day. So to sum up, the one thing is to do anything, anything other than tech for the first few minutes of your morning. 
and do it with awareness that you're guiding your brain to a state that is more content. Perfect. Perfect. And, and for the viewers, there will be a link up here in the, sh uh, the cards for today where we'll link to the video I did recently about my little digital diet that I'm on. And I'll also be doing an update oh. soon on how that's going. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Oh, it is it's hard. It's very hard. Um, I think it's hard in part because I organize my life very digitally. And so much of my work is, well, all of my work is, is, you know, virtual. So all my clients are on the phone, all my appointments are in the cloud, like all the, you know, notes and everything. So it's, it, everything's, my phone is, everything's in there. So everything's in there. This yeah. is the thing though, when we put it to work for us, it isn't putting us to work for it. Yeah. So if we yeah. really think about this, you know, everyone who's worked on the apps and the technology of this, mm -hmm. they have something they want us to do. And there's tremendous power, and this is where a digital diet or a digital detox can be so handy, is simply deciding that we are in charge of it. Yeah. And one other thing is having this, if we even have this in our peripheral vision, it can interrupt our thought flow for up to six minutes. So even not looking what? at it, yes, <laughs> even, even watch this. I'm going to hack you right now for six minutes. Ah, <laughs> ah, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually, even having this in our sight is such a distraction because if you look at the way that the brain forms associative mm -hmm. pathways, it's associated with the experiences that we've been conditioned to crave. Oh so God. even having 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day where you're not using it is so healthy for your brain. And if you can do it in the morning, if you can do that sort of little bit of setting it aside in the morning, you are actually giving your, that brain of yours, that puppy brain of yours, a very powerful message that it could and should do that even more frequently during the day. And with time, and not that much time, people say four to six weeks, you can notice significant differences. You can actually be taking your behavior in a different direction than the one that you've been dependent on. Wow. And, and I think even putting your phone in a drawer while you're working or reading a book or that's always, for me, that's always the thing is I'm reading and I see the phone. You're absolutely right about the phone being right. in your peripheral vision. I see it and I'm like, oh, maybe I should check my email while I'm trying to read a book. Exactly. It's a wonderful point. So there you go, viewers. There are two things you can do now. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful book. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much, Susan. I really enjoyed it. This is officially one of my favorites. <laughs> Yay. Yay. All right, viewers, here is the book. Go get it. We're going to have links in Am to Amazon in the show notes for today. So look for those down below. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. This has been twoquestions.tv. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, learn more about the show, the guests, and our host, Susan Barancini Mo, visit us at www.twoquestions.tv.